Hey folks, this is the Irredeemable Shag. Just wanted to leave you a note here. We recorded this episode earlier in the week, shortly after Firestorm's appearance on The Flash, but before the release of the new photo showing Aquaman's look in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. Now Rob and I are excited to talk about both of these live-action aspects of our characters, but we're going to discuss them next week. So just wanted to let you know that on the front end. In the meantime, it's been a while since we've covered some Aquaman and Firestorm comic books. So with that, folks, let's get on with the show. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, who can't stop laughing. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the movie serial cliffhanger Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? So I like hosting the show with you because you are high on life. <laughs> I got the giggles and I can't stop. I think it has something to do with how happy I am about Firestorm appearing on national TV. That might be it. But uh, either way, woof. So, uh, hi. so everything good? Yeah. Do you have any pizza? I was hoping you have some pizza. <laughs> it's not helping my giggles, man. Right. Tell you what, I do want to talk about that, but first, you know what? Why don't we take a second to say thanks to our sponsor? Let's get uh, very serious here. I'm going to get real serious to try and get rid of this laughing. Uh, this episode of the Firewater Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. <laughs> in stock- Maybe I should recommend Mouse. That might seriously you up real serious. Real good. I- I have lost it. In-Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Well, I'm going to – I'm here to talk about death a little. Oh, uh, God. Earlier in the week, uh, the actor Louis Jordan passed away. Now, most of us nerds know him from playing Arcane in Swamp Thing. Uh, that's certainly where I knew him. Uh, of course, he also played the title role in Octopussy. So he's got a bunch of geek credits. But, you know, he had, like, a really an amazing career. He uh, fought in World War II. 
He worked with some of the greatest directors in Hollywood ever had to offer. Alfred Hitchcock, Billy Wilder, Vincent Minnelli, Max Ovals. See, he had an amazing career. He's not just limited to the fact that he was arcane in a cheesy Swamp Thing movie. But that's where I knew him. And so he, hey, had, he did a really good job. And he did a great job. And he passed away over the weekend at age 93. So he, <laughs> and he, was, he was married to the same woman for like 60 years. He died in Beverly Hills. So it sounds like he had like a really great life. You know, so, you know, uh, good on you, sir. Good job in Swamp Thing. I love that movie as a kid. I love it as an adult, even though I know it's not very good. Still, great movie. So, Bite your tongue. So I thought I would recommend, of course, Swamp Thing. And in this case, Saga of the Swamp Thing, book five, which reprints, of course, by Alan Moore, reprints issues 51 through 56 of Saga of the Swamp Thing. And that's the one where Batman took on Swamp Thing in Gotham City, which are some of my favorite Alan Moore stories. And that is saying something, because was, that was an amazing, amazing series of stories that Alan Moore did. Normal instruct page price. price wow, me, easy for you to say. It's fourteen ninety nine for 168 pages. But their current price is $8.24. That is 45% off. You cannot beat these stories. They are awesome. They are everything they're cracked up to be. So, Saga of the Swamp Thing, book five, and rest in peace, Louis Jordan. You know, if you like that Swamp Thing um, movie, one of our one of our devout listeners, uh, Gene Hendricks, actually did an episode of his Legend of the Superheroes show about That's that. That's right. That's right. Yep. So, you should give that a listen. I mean, he's got a... Lousy co-host on that episode. But yeah, I know. Give it a listen. I, yeah, I, I did my best. <laughs> uh, folks, you I'm know, for a half it. second, I actually forgot that I was on that show. <laughs> this isn't helping. I can't stop. Uh, folks, I am going to recommend Justice League 3000, trade paperback, volume one, titled Yesterday's Lives. This is from the New 52. Just came out. The series is still on publication. You know, you've, you've got... Giffen and Dematis, uh, Dematis, however you say it, the guys behind Justice League International that everybody loves. You got Howard Porter, who was the artist on the next incarnation of Justice League, and, and some other various artists as well. This, re- this includes issues one through seven. It's the reintroduction of the Justice League in the year 3000. It is, I love this comic. I love, love, love this comic. I think I told you, Rob, that I had whittled my pull list down and I was getting very few new comics, and Aquaman was really the only ongoing DC title I was getting. Mm-hmm. I have re added. Justice League 3000 to my pull list because uh, I, I read the issues I've been getting. I hadn't. I was behind. I, I read them all now, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so good. So it's back on my pull list. I love this book. It's just, crazy stuff happens. It's a dystop- dystopian future. The characters are not likable. They're very flawed, but it's a great sci-fi comic. There's enough of the Justice League in there that you get a taste of it, but it's different. I love it. And Firestorm's in this trade, by the way. Firestorm 3000 is in this collection as well. So check it out. 176 pages. Normally retails for $16.99. Right now, 45% off. You get it for $9.34. Pick it up, folks. It has got the shag stamp of approval. Boom! Right on the cover. So pick it up. You won't regret it. Again, folks, that's In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So... This episode, for the first in a long time, is not going to be about the Flash television series and Firestorm's appearances on it, even though it was amazing this week. Um, we got to see just a few days ago. At, at the time of this recording, it was just last night, but it was an episode called Fallout, episode 14, and uh, it's a, our last episode for about a month till the series comes back. It's on a brief hiatus, but oh my gosh, it was all Firestorm all the time. And we got to see the nuclear man as he's meant to be. Ronnie in control. Professor is the onboard advisor. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. 
The only thing it was missing was really the, the was the translucent head of Victor Garber floating around. That's the only thing it didn't have. But you got the ghostly voice, which is just. You did get good. the ghostly voice, yep. Which which works because you know in a comic book the ghostly voice doesn't really work that well. Have it, yeah, that's why you have to have the translucent head. Here you get the voice. It's just this, it's the same thing. Yeah. So. And Victor Garber, oh my gosh, he is he embodies Professor Stein. He really does. No pun intended. Oh, okay, but we're not here to talk about that. Right. We're going to cover all that next week. Just for anyone who's interested, we are going to cover that episode in, in depth next week on the show. Yep. In the meantime, though, folks, we are here to do our monthly review episode where we're going to talk about Aquaman number 38 from the New 52. And then we're going to talk about The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number 18, classic from 1983. So uh, with that, let's uh, let's talk about the guy who talks to fish. Aquaman number 38, which is uh, part four of the Maelstrom saga by Jeff Parker, uh, Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons, Sandra Hope, and Rain Barreto opens uh, the way the issue 37 ended with Aquaman and Grodd, again with the Grodd, uh, locked in a battle, falling through this dimension. Now, Jeff Parker totally cheats here. This was You, you called me the movie serial. Well, this is a total movie serial cliffhanger cheat. Yep. Because the issue ended with Mira saying to Aquaman, You're, you won't be able to go back. You won't be able to come back with you and, the, you and, and Grodd in the grips of the Trident. And in, in one, like in like three panels... Aquaman just grabs a trident from the crotch <laughs> and drops him, and that's the end of that. So it was like a total cheat. Uh, I really enjoyed that because it's just Jeff Parker having fun, I think. It's just like, ha-ha, kidding about the whole Grodd thing. So anyway, he's gone. Which I, is, I, I think he listened to our episode last time, and I said how I wished it had been a one-and-done. And so uh, now it is, it's a one-and-done plus one page. Is, yes. Is what that is. And you know when it works because the Grodd storyline didn't need any more. So you were, you know, it made sense to be one and done. You really didn't need to see Grodd any further than that. He just sort of got it. He's in another dimension and yada, yada, yada. So uh, following that, there is a whole bunch of more gobbledygook about the portals. And there's the Dr. Evans and Dr. Shin come and explain all these different things in the portal. And they got their stone tablets and a whole big stuff. So Aquaman and Mira use the uh, portal to jump uh, across space and time. They end up on this island where they see all these stone totems it's like a easter island type thing and uh they're surrounding this what they believe is the final gate so aquaman hits it with his trident and that unfortunately wakens the stone creatures and turns them into fire trolls so clearly someone's been reading aquaman number one uh, from 1962 (laughs) so aquaman and mira battle the fire battle the fire trolls in a really bravura sequence really really well done by Paul Pelletier and Sean Parsons and Sandra Hope, I guess. Just a beautiful, beautiful sequence. So anyway, after they defeat the fire trolls, they see that this portal has opened up in the ocean. They realize that this is probably the last place for, this is the, you know, the sort of the end of the journey. They hold hands, they jump into it together. They end up in the same place, but in a different time, because they see that the volcano they were looking at earlier is still there, except now it's erupting. So they've gone back in time, because we can see that there's pterodactyls floating around and stuff. They are met by a bunch of locals who are sort of shocked to see these two people arrive. They call for their leader. And who is their leader? Of course, it's Aquaman's mom. Dun, dun, dun. Atlanta riding on a giant rhino. And that is Maelstrom. <laughs> Real Maelstrom Part 4, The Final Gate. And so that's the issue. Um, you know, that's I, I say this every single episode. I really enjoyed it. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I love all the callbacks to Aquaman's 
past, the fire trolls specifically, of course. Um, DC is making a big push on this. Uh, the, they're the, the, the backfiller page that they have on some of their comics, the Channel 52, they did a whole thing on Aquaman's mom uh, in the back of the comic, so they're really, really pushing this big time. Um, and art-wise, it's phenomenal. I actually think this is probably the best issue they the guys have done to this point. You stole my bit! <laughs> I was going to say the same thing! Yeah. The, the art in this issue... Is a, is breathtaking. It's some of the detail work, like that two page splash, yep, yep. kapow moment, dude. That would be like an awesome poster. I mean, it's so vibrant. Now a lot of it's the coloring. I mean, I'm not trying to take away from what the oh, art did. I mean, the whole team, the whole team did a yeah. tremendous job. Yeah, just it and is. It, pro- it is probably the best art. Not that the other art hadn't been good, but it's probably the best art of the whole run. And my, my right, yes. And my single favorite sequence that the guys have done is on page, uh, I think it's 17, where they're about to jump into the ocean, into the, the portal, and they hold hands. And then the second panel is a silhouette. And then the third panel is them just as, like, the flames are, like, approaching their faces. And it's, it's there's no words. It's just, uh, just the art. And it is simply beautiful. Uh, the, the combination of penciling, inking, and color these guys did a tremendous, tremendous job, and uh, I'm going to miss them. I, I'm Trevor McCarthy's a great artist. I'm sure he'll do a great job, but I'm definitely going to miss these guys because I would like to see a hell of a lot more Aquaman done by this team. And now we know that we're down to two more issues. Yeah. Now, the Hope person, let's see, was Hope Sandra, the Sandra Hope, who's one of the other. She was a, another anchor along with Sean Parsons. Oh, okay. I was going to say that, I mean, they're – there's definitely seems to be some distinctive difference in this issue as far as the inking goes. There's just like certain – like that panel where they're – not the panel, but that page where they're jumping in the water. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the top panel, just the incredible detailed line work on the water. You know, it's it, it just – wow. Just amazing. So, yeah, that's a great page. Yeah. Um, the fire trolls are great. They're, they look great. I love how they have like the Shogun Warrior fi- fists they fire. You know, their fists come off and fly across the room, which is great. Uh, and then, as you said, they referenced them, you know, the first Aquaman issue. Now, I mean, uh, Jeff's been doing that all along, though. I mean, the Chimera yeah. was was a nod to an early showcase issue as well. Yeah, Jeff is steeped in Aquaman history. I mean, yeah. his his Twitter feed when he got the gig, when it was announced that he was going to write Aquaman, was the filmation Aquaman. So <laughs> that's great, absolutely cool. Well, the, I, obviously, the Grodd thing I loved. That was my that was my favorite thing of the issue. Just. You never see that anymore, where you get a cliffhanger that's immediately resolved, and it's yeah. just like, bop! <laughs> so. Yeah, I liked, I liked that it was so much a cheat. I really did, because I really didn't want to see the Grodd storyline. I really liked the Grodd issue. You go back and you listen to the old episode, and you say, I really liked the Grodd issue. I didn't want to see it keep going, though. I was like, no, yep. this is a what. Yep. Like I said, the one and done, it was perfect. So I, I like that, that Jeff is just like, just, ah, screw you guys. <laughs> yep. The Stargate stuff is great with the wormhole opening up. And uh, now I, I'm wondering about – I'm sorry. I just got to that two-page spread again. I just can't get over that with the fire trolls breathing fly, you know, magma at them. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Okay. So um, I am wondering, Atlanta, she's got her eye, her face covered. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't – now I haven't seen the, uh, the Channel 52 thing really in detail. I saw it just briefly. I like how they call her Aquamom. That was funny. Yeah. Kind of like Octomom. That was, that was clever. She seems to have her right eye covered. Is that, yes. is it shown in the Aquamom ad? No. Well, there's like a sketch where you see her full face, but I think that was more like a, you know, early version, but in the, the big color drawing, no, she looks like you see her here. 
Okay. So Makes you wonder if, like, she's, you know, lost an eye. Or... I bet maybe she has. Probably, you know, kind of rough there in this savage land. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about her still being alive. It's weird. I don't know. It's just Aquaman's parents have always been dead, except when they were robots. And, um, and that was not a good story. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I don't know how to feel about his mom being alive. It's just kind of weird. So. Yeah, I mean, either they're going to kill her off, which would be sad, or she's going to be stuck in this dimension, which would also be sad, or she's going to come out with Aquaman, and then they're going to go off and have adventures, which I don't know if I really want to see that either. So, Well, I don't know if that'll happen, because since they're handing the reins off to a new creative team, it doesn't seem like that that makes sense. You don't change the dynamic of the series mm-hmm. right before you give it to somebody else, um, unless they're guiding that, which I don't think they're guiding with Maelstrom. So, Anyway, love this issue, love the art. Love the story. It, I, it, you know, it, it, it was a little. I'm, I'm stuttering like crazy. It was a little bittersweet reading this issue now that we know they're not going to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because this really looks like Maelstrom's going to be a hell of a trade for people who are reading it for the first time, and it just seems like wow, what a great story! I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And now we're not going to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I forget whether Maelstrom is five parts or six. So if it's six, uh, then that will be Parker Peltier's final issue. Or if it's five, they'll get one issue to do something else and then hand it off to the other guy. So I don't know. I, I actually would like to see Maelstrom wrap up next issue and then just have one issue of them just doing something else. That might be kind of fun. to, to well, you get, I guess we get two more issues with them, though, total, right? Whatever it works out to. Well, 39 and 40. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know the numbering on it. Yeah. I just knew that. The new guys take over 41. All right. And now in the next issue, by the time people hear this, the next issue comes out in like two or three days, right? Uh, I think it's a week after that, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was next Wednesday. Okay. I, I could be wrong. I never keep – I don't know until I look on the Wednesdays. Like, is it today? I was oh, just, it is today. I was just looking on this thing called Aquaman Shrine Twitter feed. I was going by that, you know, whatever. You may have heard of it. I don't know. But. I don't follow it. All right. <laughs> Some drunks driving that bus anyway, so – all right. Um, anything else we got to say on this one? No, it's good stuff. It's just a, it's a it's a real blast. It's a real real blast. All right. Well, I I feel bad because that segment was so short, and you know the next one's not going to be. So, but I'll get through it. It's within a reasonable amount of time. How's that? <laughs> Here's where you say you're not going to do a detail. I didn't say that. I didn't do, say that. I said you're going to do a macro overview yep. and then I get said, into the deep I said, down. I, I said reasonable. I didn't okay. say short. <laughs> so page 15, the the little bubble at the bottom that says 1-5. As we look at the 1 next to the 5, you see John Costanza. Da, da, da. That's all important. <laughs> These old comics are meant to be studied. It's like archaeology, okay? <laughs> all right, folks. The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 18, cover dated November 1983. However, if you want to pick up a brand spanking new copy of this comic yourself, you're going to have to hop in your hot tub time machine and go back to August 4th, 1983. So set your your dial, set your bubble maker to that, and that's where you want to go. And that's going to come in, interestingly enough, um, this, this issue ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, not quite a Gorilla Grodd cliffhanger, but still a cliffhanger, which goes directly into Firestorm Annual Number 1, which came out three weeks after this issue. But issue 19 actually came out two months after this issue. So rather than going like an issue, an annual, and then you know the next month you get another issue, they actually had to wait two months for the next issue. Very strange. I'm not sure what caused that delay. So, hmm. But you'll be happy to know next issue is drawn by Gene Colan. Really? 
didn't yeah. know he ever did Firestorm. Yeah, he did one issue. That's a, so. I, I'm I'm interested in seeing that because I can't picture what that might look like. Um, it is very different. <laughs> very very I'm sure it is very different. It's uh there's nothing like that issue probably the entire Firestorm run. So what we're gonna do this time, folks, we're only gonna cover issue number eighteen next month uh, when we do our review episode. We will cover the annual and issue nineteen all in one run. So we'll get all that out of the way at the same time. Okay. Here we go. Folks, this is a Jerry Conway, George Tusco, Roden Rodriguez, and Andy Kubert joint. Um, the last issue, remember Pat Broderick had drawn part of the comic and then uh, didn't finish it. Uh, George Tusco had stepped in to sort of fill out the issue. I made a mistake. I said at that time that Pat had already left to go work on the annual. Nope. I was wrong. Pat drew half of issue 17 and he was gone from firestorm pretty much from then on i mean he popped in once or twice for little things here or there but uh yeah issue 17 was his last oh wow okay now when i i interviewed him a while back and i asked him i said why you know why'd you end up leaving firestorm and he said he had gone through about a depression at that time his marriage had fallen apart he felt lost and he had just accepted an assignment for pacific comics doing something called sunrunners and he just felt overwhelmed and um so Firestorm uh, was a positive thing, but um, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading my notes here. <laughs> Though the one thing that happened was positive that I met my next and current wife, Patricia, at the time. We married about a year and a half later, and they've been together for 28 years, which is very impressive. But so, yeah, at the time when he left Firestorm, it just things just kind of were out of, out of hand for him personally. So that's why he ended up leaving the book in the middle of issue 17. I, in my mind was, he'd, it was a, he'd always drawn the annual, but it was actually Raphael K. Annan's first work. And it's so stellar. I guess I just sort of put that in the broader category. So, all right, back to issue 18. Um, at a 10,000 foot level, I would have to say that this is actually Henry Hewitt's issue. This is sort of his journey. He is a sickly eccentric gajillionaire. He's driven for power and control and he becomes Tokamak, the human reactor in this issue. And when he gains all this power, he goes after, he destroys a former ally that's failed him. He goes to, uh, he goes to recapture Firehawk, who he considers his property. So it's all about him and his need for power and control. That's how I view this issue. Uh, as we jump into it, there are seven distinct scenes across 23 pages. And you do have a Pratt Broderick cover. It's a beautiful cover, Pat Project. It's got Tokamak in the background, and it's got Firestorm trapped in this sort of uh, rectangular cage of sorts, and he is shrinking, and it says, squeeze play. Both Firestorm is struggling, and Professor Stein is struggling, and it looks great. It's absolutely gorgeous. It gives away the cliffhanger of the, of the issue, but it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cover, and Project just knocked this out of the park. The, the only odd thing on it is it says, have we got a summer for you? Yeah, that has nothing to do with the story, right? That's just more right. about the fact that this was on sale in August. Well, it has to do with this is on sale in August, and there's an annual. Right. That's what they're really talking about, but it just they don't explain that. So it's almost like some editor just threw that on there and didn't really think it through. But anyway, um, this is actually one of the earliest back issues of Firestorm I ever bought. And so the cover has just always been so striking to me. I just, oh, I love it so much. Okay, as we get into the issue... Um, Firestorm, it starts off with the, the opening scenes are Firestorm's having flashbacks. Some of it is the previous issues to get you up to speed, talking about how the Enforcer kidnapped them and how his father, Ronnie's father, Ed Raymond, has died. 
and how the Firehawk came on the scene and turned out to be Lorraine O'Reilly. Then we get some more flashback, which is new information, but it's still a flashback, uh, where Ronnie's in the hospital with Lorraine, and she's sort of waking up and really has no memory of what's going on. Then we go to Hewitt's, uh, Henry Hewitt's sub, <laughs> I like it, it's his sub-basement sub laboratory, <laughs> where he's there along with his cronies, and he's basically, he announced last issue, he intends to become the next nuclear man. So they put him in this in huge metal tin suit. I mean, it's enormous. And he's this withering, skinny guy, and yet they put him in this giant, what, make, what makes him appear to be a very obese, large guy, which is not really it at all, but that's just the way the suit's built. They put him in the suit, and they, you know, I'm bombarded with energy, you know, the reactor goes uh, critical, the whole thing, same as before that happened, created Firehawk, and in the end, he come, we don't see it, but he is, he gains the power, these superpowers of being called Tokamak. I do like how he whispers to one, to Multiplex, he goes like, if, if this doesn't work, kill Maxwell, which is just like, wow, creepy. <laughs> then we go on to uh, a federal court in Manhattan, where we're having the hearing of the enforcer, who's, uh, un we find out is unfortunately named Leroy Merkin, and uh, while they're on site at the um, trial, they have his enforcer has a spare suit of his. And the trial date's set, and then suddenly Tokamak shows up and attacks the courthouse. And Merkin runs out and goes, hey, I'm here, boss. I've got the suit. And Tokamak kills Merkin. And, oh, but this is where he reveals, by the way, that he is Tokamak, the human reactor. Anyway, he kills Merkin, the former enforcer, takes the suit, and then gives the suit to his female assistant, one named Micah, and tells her she is to be the new enforcer. Which, by the way, Russell Burbage, that's all for you. I hope you're listening. Because Russell, when we did Who's Who, was really freaked out about enforcer being a guy, and then in Who's Who, enforcer being a girl, and he thought this was another gender-bender thing like the hyena. So, there you go, Russell. All explained. Neat little package. Then we get some foreshadowing. Our multiple notes that Tokamak doesn't look very well. So, now... Um, He's very. Sh By the way, I, I don't know that I actually described the costume other than to say he's fat. It's a giant, it's a giant silvery tin suit essentially. Very round. Even his headpiece is sort of roundish shaped with dials and diodes. I mean, it looks almost like a throwback costume from like the the '60s or something. But it serves its purpose. It makes him powerful. It just the the, the design is interesting. I'd like. I'd, I'm looking forward to hearing Rob's take on it too. Human bomb. It's the human bomb crossed with the space heater. There you go. Perfect. Well done, sir. Thank you. Then we see Ronnie Raymond at school. He has a little short encounter with uh, Cliff Carmichael, where Cliff actually shows some of his human side again, which is very strange. Uh, we see Doreen Day. And then uh, the, Doreen and Ronnie almost get run over by these, these hoods in a car, and they're actually actively trying to take out Ronnie, apparently, or possibly <laughs> Doreen. We're not sure. And they, they say, like, come back here, punk. And they say that uh, if they, Boss Shine is going to eat them alive for letting these kids get away. Then they go back to uh, Doreen's house, where Ronnie is currently staying, because with the death of his father, he's staying with the Doreen, the Day family. Doreen's dad is a cop. He, he overhears them talking about Boss Shine. Kind of, we get an info dump about how Boss Shine is a really, really bad mobster, and the kids shouldn't be involved in that nonsense. Then the dad goes to work. So then Ronnie and Doreen are sitting on the couch, and Doreen makes it perfectly clear to Ronnie and the audience that they are alone in the house, and they got the house to themselves. And she leans in to kiss him. They're getting about to get all smoochy, and she says, Ronnie, you think we should? She gets interrupted by a news report. Uh, it turns out that Tokamak is at attacking the hospital where Lorraine Riley is being held. Not being held, but where Lorraine Riley is recovering. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to take a moment and play a little game that I like to call Let's Finish Doreen's Sentence. 
So Doreen, on the couch with Ronnie, making out in the house where they're all alone, she says, Ronnie, you think we should? And it ends up, what do you think she was going to finish that sentence with, Rob? <laughs> Nothing that can be in a code-approved comic. I have three possibilities. One might be, Ronnie, you think we should use protection this time? Or maybe it's, Ronnie, you think we should get out the whips and ropes? Or Ronnie, do you think we should invite Cliff Carmichael to join us again? Ooh, again. Any of those things. Yeah, any of those might, might be what she's saying. So I'd be interested. Maybe I'll contact Jerry Conway and ask him. So anyway. Um, and that will be the last time we ever speak to Jerry Conway. Right. That's, yeah, Jerry just, wow, Jerry unfollowed me on Twitter. What happened? Anyway, so Ronnie then sees, again, he sees Tokamak attacking the hospital. He's like, oh, no, Lorraine. He runs out the door. And then, of course, you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Doreen who just got left, you know, uh, a little high and dry, goes, uh, Lorraine? As in, like, what's, who, why is he talking to another girl? So Ronnie runs out. He runs to Harry Carew's apartment where Professor Stein is trapped working out because Harry Carew is making him work out so much. They ru- he rushes Professor Stein out of there. They transform into a firestorm. They fly to the hospital as quick as they can to check on Lorraine. They have a brief little conversation with her. There's a little kissy-kissy. So even while Doreen is cooling her boots at home, Ronnie's still getting a little pl- action. Good for him. Then Firestorm uh, goes outside to battle Tokamak. Now, here's the thing. Um, First of all, they're being watched secretly from Hewitt's, like, flying ship. And there's the new Enforcer, which is Micah, Multiplex, and uh, Lorraine Riley's dad, Senator Riley, who's being held hostage. So Firestorm attacks first. He attacks Tokamak, and he makes these, like, little rocket things, which he shoots at Tokamak, which are no good. He wraps Tokamak in girders, which is no good. He collapses a roof on Tokamak, which is no good. And then he wraps pavement into pincers against Tokamak, which does, does no good. Four tries, Ronnie's taken to this guy. Tokamak takes one shot at Ronnie and takes him out. He takes one shot, creates these plasma rings around Ronnie, which compresses Firestorm, and he dwindles down to the, sh- to the size of nothing. And that's how the issue ends. And this is to be concluded in the annual. Dun-dun-dun! All right. Um, well, I've talked for a little bit. Rob, what would you think? Um, it's fun. I, you know, we've talked about George Tuska before. You know, like this is, you know, to me, not the, he's not the really the really uh, suited artist for this kind of feature. Uh, so um, I miss Pat Broderick a lot. Um, but you know, the story's good. I mean, Tuckamack is such a weird. Like his design is just so strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but every, I like your description. Yeah, thank you. But every superhero needs a villain who's like a giant suit of armor guy. It's always having somebody like that. Uh, I, I miss the Enforcer. I really did like that in the original Enforcer guy. I had no idea I'd be such a fan of his. Um, <laughs> I really thought it was funny when uh, the when um, the uh, Mer- Merkin the guy goes Merkin. Hold it right there. And he says, big time. He says, DA, you think you can boss Meryl without a cop to pick you up? And it's just a single panel of think again, loser. And he just knocks the guy <laughs> ass over a tea kettle. I thought that was just this is a very funny panel. There is some nice staging here by um, George Tuska. Uh, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of his stuff on the superheroes, but there are a couple of panels that are really quite nicely sort of staged. I like the one of, uh, what's her name, Doreen kissing Ronnie in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there, there is some nice stuff here, but I, I do miss Pat Broderick. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the art here. I mean, part of it is Roden Rodriguez does a great job with inks. He's, he's oh, like we've said before, he's the unsung hero of this book. He's what kept this book so consistent through the first several years of the title, from Broderick to Tusca to 
canon. It, it, it does it ser- he served the book quite well. So anyway, the the art's not bad. It's just not very interesting, and and that's probably where it suffers the most because you're coming off of Pat Roderick, who at the time was you know an incredibly dynamic artist in the early '80s. I mean, just he was you know up there with I, I say he was up there with Perez as far as like an '82, '83, probably as far as really wild, detailed work. You know, Golden. Those guys were all cut of sort of the same cloth of really going over the top and really giving you a lot of detail. And so this is just, it's kind of generic, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think George Tuska can be dynamic, and I've seen some of the stuff that is just not his superhero stuff in particular. That's all. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen some of his crime comics that he did in, like, the 50s, and they're great. They're really okay. great. They, so the, and, and even his Iron Man stuff. He did do Iron Man in the late, in the late 60s, which, and that stuff's really good. It's just, I think by this point in his career, he was older, and just this, this is very sci-fi stuff. It just, I just don't think it's a great match. Obviously, he was probably very fast because he seemed to be the fill-in guy. He filled in on Justice League. Uh, he filled in here. Uh, well, so I just get the sense he was somebody that could be depended on to turn a book around pretty quickly. I think it's that, and it's Jerry, actually. Because Jerry actually has something in the letters page. I don't know if you read it digitally or read the hard copy, but the, the letters page he actually talks about um, how George Tuska is – he says George is one of the – one of the greats of this field, an unsung great by your editor's estimation, and it's a pleasure to offer you some look of his work, uh, a look at his work in Firestorm. Basically, he's, he's talking about how great George Tuska is. Ah, okay. So I think Jerry's probably the reason we got him on Justice League. That's right. They're both Jerry Conroy. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. So um, I specifically asked if you read the letters page for a reason. Did you happen to read the letters? I page? did not. I have this digitally, so I don't have the letters page okay. in front of me. Well, there, there's a letter here. I'm gonna. I'm going to blow through it really quickly, so forgive the pace I'm going to read out here, folks. Remember a couple issues ago, um, Lorraine showed up in punk gear. She said, yeah, Ronnie, I caught you checking out that girl at the airport, and I, I'm no fool, so I'm a punk now to get your attention. Remember that? <laughs> I do. At the time, I said, there's a letter down the line we're going to talk about about that. So I wanted you to remember that. You probably don't know. I mean, it's been like a year probably since we did that episode, <laughs> but anyway. Dear sirs, I think it, uh, I should set a few people straight. I don't know what makes all your letter-writing people think that Doreen is a punk. For one thing, she doesn't have the attitude. You know which attitude I'm talking about, don't you? But you people in comics know so much about punk rock. How could you not know about the punk attitude? Well, let me explain. I don't know about New York, but out here in California, a person doesn't just become a punk overnight, and certainly not just because they get a haircut. A person has to have the attitude expressed by all the punk idols, which is, I don't care, and Doreen cannot be said to have that attitude. Not that I'm complaining about the way Dorian is done. It's just that a person doesn't become a punk by getting their hair cut or wearing tight clothes. So in the future, I hope everyone shall refrain from using the term punk princess in reference to Doreen. Aside from a few letters, I very much enjoyed reading Fury of Firestorm number 15. I will continue to read your magazine until you agree with my views. Then I will stop reading out of disgust that you have listened to me, a lowly fan hoping to make it someday in the world of comic books. I'll bet you don't get an ending like that every day, and thus I must take my leave. Okay. Uh, there's a point of this letter, you know, obviously the letter was interesting about punk. Notice he did say, uh, a lowly fan hoping to make it someday in the world of comic books. The author of this letter, Ed Brubaker. Ah, wow. Yeah. And I tweeted to him, I said, this is a while back, I said, Ed, was, was this you? He said, absolutely. It really was him. Uh, it was one of his fan letters. And actually he says his, his letter got rewritten quite a bit. He said he, he did know quite a bit about he did know quite a bit about punk culture at the time, and they took out a bunch of his stuff from his letter and rewrote a bunch of stuff, and he was horrified. In fact, it put him off writing fan letters for a while. Hmm. 
Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is neat. Yep. So I dug that quite a bit. So let's see if I got any notes left. I think that I have sort of hit all of the highlights I wanted to hit about the issue. Um, again, fun issue, strong story. I like Tokamak. Uh, like you said, I kind of like the goofy, silvery, foily, 60s radiator look that he's got. It's pretty cool. I love his squeezing you know, squeezing people. And what a cool little gimmick, you know, for a bad guy is to, rather than just blasting him, he, he squeezes him down to nothingness, which is really cool. And, man, what a, what a crossover that would have been with the Micronauts, huh? Anyway, well, think of Pat Broderick. You know, he's on the brain, so. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's another solid installment in this, what I consider to be a, a, a needed trade paperback. You know, this four, issues 14 through 18 in the annual. So the annual's all that's left. It's going to wrap up this whole storyline, and I'm interested to hear what you think of the whole thing when it's over. So, okay, all right. That's going to do it. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go to break, and when we get on the other side, we're going to cover some of your feedback from the last review episode. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. <coughs> <clears throat> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil... Well, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? I got a bad feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Bothan Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadbothanspies.blogspot.com. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Bothan Spies. Yoda, you seek Yoda! No, you seek Dead Bothan Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. <laughs> All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we're going to focus on feedback specifically from our last review episode where we talked about Aquaman 37 and Free Air Firestorm number 17. Rob, uh, you want to take it away? Yes, we got in a uh, comment from Earth to Chris. He says, is it wrong that I still read Grodd's dialogue like Stanley Ralph Ross's version from Challenge of the Super Friends, like your stinger this week? <laughs> no, it's not. It's completely natural because it's one of the great all-time voices. I love that growly, slurpy sound he makes each time before he speaks. I guess it makes even more sense now that Grodd is slurping out brains. Ew. <laughs> and of course, as he points out, this Stanley Ralph Ross is the same gent who wrote a bunch of episodes of the Batman TV series. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. I, 
I think I'm going to have to uh, like listen to some of those Gorilla Grodd things and see if I can imitate that voice, the, all that stuff, because that's that's great. That voice is awesome. That that show had some of the best voice work in all of animation. Just, just <laughs> so that Black good. Mana voice is so distinctive, and Grodd and Bizarro and Solomon Grundy. I mean, they're all like really fun. Well, you know, the, it's funny the Firestorm, you know, character in that one, uh, it's the Super Super Friends Legend of Superpower series. A couple of seasons later. Um, when we watched the Flash episode this week, like when Garber was talking in Ronnie's head, it felt like Stein talking in Ronnie's head there too. It just <laughs> oh. so anyway. All right, uh, Chris goes on to say, speaking of strong females, I always like Firehawk. Too bad uh, they never brought her into the Superpowers cartoon. Oh my gosh! Like I don't know that I ever even considered that until he said that, and then it just blew my mind. Like how perfect that would have been. Oh, I still think she would have been a great JLA member, even like without Firestorm. As standing on her own would have been great. Okay, heard from our buddy Count Druncula, by the way. My thanks to Count Druncula, Ryan Daly, for the suggestion of the hot tub time machine uh, as our time travel device. He says, uh, you know, I could use the hot tub time machine as my time travel device to mention. And he says, after two or three episodes to establish the hot tub reference, however, you can start doing impersonations of Eddie Murphy from James Brown's James Brown's Celebrity Hot Tub. Love that sketch. Ooh, it's hot in the hot tub time machine. Ooh. <laughs> Such a good sketch. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Martin Gray, hello then. He, he pointed out that he said that, that the title of this issue could have been Gorilla Slaves of Atlantis. Now, there's a missed opportunity for a grabber title. Well done, Shag. That really would have been an amazing title for the story. That would have been something out of 1962 DC Comics, but I guess we're stuck with the more prosaic uh, Maelstrom Part 3. Well, not that I'm one to turn down a compliment, but what, how am I? Did I say that or something? I think you did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll take that. Sure. Whatever. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, we should we should give a shout out. Martin Gray, by the way, is the author of the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. You should check that out. By the way, I mentioned Count Druncula. You should go check out his Star Wars podcast, Dead Both and Spies. He had a couple of guest hosts on there an episode or two ago, which was a bit of a train wreck having those guys on there. <laughs> but whatever. It's still worth checking out. And then uh, also Earth to Chris. From the Supermates podcast and our own Power Records podcast. That's right. Her former buddy Ange, who does the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, is also involved with Legion of Super Bloggers. He says, um, I find that the plot about apes being made more intelligent so they could act as slave labor very reminiscent of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Interesting. That's a very good observation, Ange. And I don't think that even went through my head when we talked about no, it. No, it didn't. And I've seen all those apes movies like a thousand times, but I never thought of it. But that, that is, yeah, the same angle. Yeah, absolutely. And then he says, I always assume Firehawk had just enough molecular control to make her clothes, just as Multiplex can duplicate his clothes despite having fission powers. At that moment, my brain exploded when I read that, because while I have been fixated all these years on how Firehawk changed her costume in Crisis on Infinite Earths, which we talked about at great lengths last issue, I have never once in my life wondered why Multiplex is able to duplicate his clothes. Thank you, Ange. Heard from our buddy Martin Stein Returns, who's Robert Gross. He says, back in the old days of the DC Comics message board, rest in peace, I confronted Jamal Eigel on his giving Firehawk pointed ears. His only response was, hey, they look cool. And because comics, Because basically. comics, yeah. Yeah, because comics, basically. So, yeah, fair point. <laughs> uh, we got a message from Mizum Yukonori. He says, interestingly, Firehawk's ability to transform her clothing is stated in her who's, who's, en- who's who entry, which I shall dub... Transmute Opavestus powers. 
Oh, I remember coming across a Paloma Bird for this issue in one of my old uncle's Westfield Comics order catalogs, which was a three-month advance order, that actually revealed that Firehawk was Lorraine Riley. Something on the lines of, Interesting Firehawk. She's a brand-new nuclear-powered villain helping in a strange firestorm. She's Lorraine Ly- Riley. I do not <laughs> believe they had the term spoiler alert back then. If I ever come across that catalog, I will sure scan it in for you. I used to get Westfield Comics, so that'd be fun to see. I used to, that's how I used to get my comics when I was like 15. Please let me see. That. I'd love to see that. You yeah. know, I, I think about those kinds of things. How did people know what was going to happen in comics back then before Previews Magazine? And clearly they had some way of getting information and blurbs. I mean, I remember being in a comic store back in like 85. I don't know. Whenever Firestorm was the, about to become the nuclear Firestorm with uh, the Russian guy. And I was talking to the comic shop owner and I said, you know, like, what? how's he going to get out of this one? You know, I guess. And the, and the owner said, oh, I think the Russian guy is going to join the Firestorm Matrix. Or not Matrix. He probably didn't say Matrix. But, you know, whatever. Become part of Firestorm. And at the time I'm thinking, he's crazy. What's he talking about? And sure enough, he was right. I love your imitation of yourself at that age. You like that? Yeah. So clearly they're getting this information from somewhere. But By the way, you can catch Yum uh, Zoom. I never say his name right. Zoom Yukonor. You can catch some of his stuff over on, was it Comic Book Resources? The Line is Drawn? The Line is Drawn. The Line, yep. it is drawn. There it is. So check that out. Then we heard from our buddy Diablo Frank, who you can find in the Marvel Superheroes podcast. And he's got his own uh, new podcast on Marsh Manor. Do you know that the idol head of Diablo has gone podcasty? I did not know that. Yeah, it's gone podcasty. So to celebrate uh, Marsh Manhunter's anniversary, seventieth, I think. Uh oh. No, Frank's, can't Frank's, be. Se- no, can't be seventy. It was fifty-five. So we'd be oh, fifty. Fifty. There we go. Okay. Frank's yelling at his. Uh, oh, Sixty. Zone- I'm sorry. Terrible math. Sixty. <laughs> Frank's yelling at his zonophone right now. All right. He says. Uh, Frank says, "I find the changes made to Gorilla Grodd distasteful." I'm not sure which creative team came up with the brain-eating, the hive mind, and the Atlantean white imperialism, but I find all that I find it all hateful and basically want nothing to do with any of it. Further, if the Aquaman team contributed to any of these new wrinkles in Gorilla City lore, I question their right to so radically alter concepts that don't belong to them. Aquaman and Grodd are both precarious concepts on the cool, ridiculous spectrum, and pitting fish against monkey push both perilously close to farce. You know, interesting. Now, the Flash guys are the ones who did the brain slurping, and I think they're the ones who did the hive mind piece, I believe. I think, at least. But um, Aquaman definitely did the Atlantean imperialism with the slave stuff, though, right? Yes. Yeah. So, interesting. I mean, do they have the right to do that? I mean, you make a fair point. That really should be in the Flash book. But, you know, I would assume the, the Aquaman camp and the Flash camp talked about it before it happened, I'm sure. So, And, you know, there's been a lot of DC as far as, like, characters being taken out of their area and messed with. Because, like, you know, the Flash characters got dramatically messed with in Forever Evil. And that wasn't going on in the Flash book. So, anyway. A good point, though, Frank. So, heard from our buddy Bradley Null, who uh, who soon will have a podcast. You'll hear about that in a moment. He just was listening to your podcast while walking, and I do as I. I'm sorry, I was listening to your podcast while walking, as I do, and your discussion of Firehawk's costume came on. I was buying both Firestorm and Crisis off the racks back then. This problem, talking about her changing her costume, this problem was the cause of many of the discussions among my champions' role playing group at the time. We were all upset over the unexplained new power. It was ended when on the letters page of a later issue, the mistake was acknowledged, then explained. Note the quotes on that. That it was a temporary power caused as a side effect of the crisis. (laughs) Because crisis. (laughs) Because crisis. That's even better than because comics. Yeah, what a bogus bunch of crap. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
I, it's, I think it's sort of funny, though, the, uh, think of Bradley sitting around the table with his champions role-playing guys, all with their slide <laughs> rules and calculators, just so they could figure out every motion in the game, because you know, the calculations were crazy, trying to figure out this Firehawk thing. I think that's hysterical. I would love to see the tapes of that, you know? Uh, he, he ends his letter with, P.S., I am thinking about doing a podcast about comic book limbos, the one from Rom, the one between Earths and Classic DC, Kang's, the great place Grant Morrison uses. My working title was Between Space. Then YouTube Joker spelled the obvious stick and hit me in the head hard. First off, I can't believe I forgot to include the Phantom Zone on my limbo list. It should be on the top of the list. Second, and far more embarrassing, is that I hadn't realized the name for someone with my surname must be Null and Voids. Now if I can just find the time. That would be awesome. No, I mean, when when you said it, Rob, null and void, that was just absolutely genius. I, I couldn't. It was like totally Thank smack you. in the head. Thank you. Now, by the way, uh, I I gotta give credit. Really, this is a who's who thing, not a fire and water thing. But Bradley actually is really really good about posting on Instagram uh, for us you know, I, when we do the who's who episode. He's constantly he posts probably ten or fifteen different pictures of who's who. He does who. it on Facebook too. Oh, does he really? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And tags us on all of them. So they're really great. Absolutely love it. So thank you for that, Bradley. Uh, got some love over on Tumblr. Some of the folks that we heard from Mr. Perturbed, Paul Loves Comics, Tsuji Tunes, which is our buddy Jeffrey Brown, uh, Hondo Brody, and Ronnie Raymond, and Professor Stein. Look at that. We heard from them on Tumblr, huh? And then we got uh, this great one message from, they go by The One KV Universe. And uh, they took a picture of this pile of comics they just bought. And it says, I blame the Fire and Water podcast for this impulse buy. And right on top there is one of these classic Firestorm comics we've been covering. So that's nice. Love that. Too many multiplexes. Uh, we got some Facebook love from Alan King Page II, Alvaro Aggression, Andy Cabellish, Arthur Quizeda, Chad Argabright, Christian uh, Pentanato. Gene Hendricks, Jack Dower, Jared West, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Crawford, John Godwin, Keith G. Baker, Kevin Culp, Kyle Benning, Lucas Garrett, Mason Jones, Mike Fedick, Oscar Olade, Robert Gross, Ronnie Ling, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Scott Cosby, Sean, Brock, Stig, Eric Erickson, and Tim Wallace. Now keep in mind, these are just folks that, again, who, who made comments or likes or retweets or whatever on that the last review episode. You know, we certainly we've got other episodes out there, and we've got other comments related, and sooner or later we'll get caught up on other feedback. But again, this is specific to the review episodes. Over on Google+, Plus, heard from our friends uh, Gene Hendricks, Luke Dobb, Dale Russell, Martin Gray, Rory Williams, Kevin Culp, Paul Bowler, Max Romero, Ben Folsom, and Celeste Abreu. And then uh, Mark Ryan mentioned he had just bought that issue last week, and it was a very under, underrated comic. Good fun. Then over on Twitter, uh, we hadn't really decided how we are going to do this, but I'll just start calling stuff out here, Rob. Take something when you want it. <laughs> I heard from our buddy David Gutierrez. Rob had said something about a hootie who in the last episode, and Dave says they're all out of them in his town. Where can he buy when the stores are out? <laughs> uh, we heard from Kyle Petit. Uh, we heard from Zoom Yukonori, who posted a couple of pictures that were drawn for the, uh, the line it is drawn, and they're both of Aquaman and Firestorm doing the... Um, Gang- the Gangnam style thing. Yeah, Gangnam style. So, so supposedly someone actually requested that. I don't believe it either. No, um, that didn't happen. I think Zoom requested it. Probably is what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our buddy Justin, who goes by Gorfopedia on Twitter, he dropped off for a while from the Fire and Water podcast, but he's back in. So good to hear you. Thanks for coming we back. We always Justin. get him back in. They leave. They go look for a better podcast. They can't find it, and they come back to us. <laughs> or they don't look hard enough. 
Uh, Lucien Desar gave us some pimpage on Twitter. Appreciate that. Then we got lots of retweets and likes and favorites and whatnot on Twitter. And uh, just to, I'll, I'll, I'll run through this list, I suppose. You can take the last thing, Rob. And uh, the, the want to say thanks specifically to two people who retweeted for us. A little uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Conway and another guy by the name of Jeff Parker. How awesome is that? Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, guys. Then we also heard from Between the Pages, C. David Danny, David Gutierrez, DC Movie Page, Django, L. Perrin, Glenn Walker, Hope Mullinex, In Enough Bands, John D. Knoll, JSLab425, <laughs> Kyle Pettit, Mark David Godry, Mark Gray, I'm sorry, Martin Gray, Oscar Lelelelele, Siskoid, Stizzizzle, that's funny, Sin, Tony Holwinski, Victoria, Vishnu Ganon, Willie Yarbrough, and ZRO. And finally, we got a, a tweet from Keith G. Baker, which is a panel from, is this from Crisis? Yeah, that's Crisis. Crisis. Crisis number 10, which yeah. features a powwow of all the different time travel vehicles in the DC universe. <laughs> so you've got the uh, Rip Hunter and his time sphere, the Legion of Superheroes with their time bubbles, the Lord of Time, and his temporal transporter. So, Shag, you can go through all those in yep. the uh, future review episode. I think I, I'm going to wear out my hot tub time machine a little bit first. Okay. <laughs> Well, folks, that's going to do it for this week. Again, come back next week where we are going to talk about Firestorm on The Flash. Oh, so good. I'm thinking about it again. In fact, right before we started recording, I was watching it on the CW online, just watching the Firestorm scenes, just like jaw up, hanging open. Oh. And then, uh, let's see, t- Rob, why don't you tell the fans at home, or listeners at home, where they can find our Tumblr and our email address? firewaterpodcast.com gets on that and fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com and you can also find us on Stitcher and I should always mention too that you can find all of our back episodes on the blog which is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com the iTunes feed cuts off at a certain point although we're working on fixing that but if you want to go back and listen to all of them go back go to the blog where they're all available who knows by the time they hear this that might be working on iTunes because I'm ready to test something. Oh, boy. So. Oh, boy. Here we go. Now, if this doesn't work, folks, if it totally screws the pooch, send all hate mail to J. David Weider. But anyway, uh, you can find That's my- just good advice anyway. <laughs> you can send hate mail to my good friend Rob Kelly at AquamanShrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You can find myself over at FirestormFan.com on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr. Well, folks, that's going to do it. Until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! He's been asking for pizza. Martin despises pizza. Is that the delivery man? Oh, Mr. Allen. I suppose it's too much to hope you moonlight as a pizza boy. I am famished. Okay. Oh, bravo! Please come in. 